Today we are in the second week of Advent. We are in the second week of Advent, and uh, the title of our Advent series is, And the Soul Felt Its Worth. And the Soul Felt Its Worth. And as we started this series last week, we said, you know, from the beginning, if this is going to be the name of our series, the title of our series, we need to have a common definition of what are we talking about when we talk about a soul. It's a word that you hear a lot, but what does this mean to say that, that we are a soul? And one of my favorite descriptions comes from, from the author Dallas Willard, um, who talks about C.S. Lewis, and, and, and Willard and Lewis have a similar definition of the soul. And what they say is, is that your primary identity is as a soul. That is what you truly are. That when our bodies die and stop breathing, that our souls are the piece of us that will live forever. And everyone has a soul. Every single person has a soul, and that's what God primarily sees in us. And Willard says that the soul is the core part of you. It's the thing that's at the very essence of who you are. He says it's the thing that unites your mind, your heart, and your will. And then that thing that unites your mind, your heart, and your will, that core sense of yourself, that is the closest you can get to knowing your soul. And Willard goes on to write about the soul, and what he says about the soul is, he says what's important to know is that the soul, he says, is a needy thing. It's needy, which sounds odd to say that. But he goes, the soul is hungry, and it is searching for meaning. It is searching for its worth. And what most of us do is that we seek to feed our souls by the stuff that can satisfy it only for a moment, and that's all. So he says that, for instance, what we try to do is we try to have, like, the great life, right? We have the right grades, and we go to the right school, and we have the right diploma on our wall, and we hang out with the right people, and we're dating the right person, we get married to the right person, we have the right job, we're in the right club, we live in the right zip code, we have 2.6 kids and our white picket fence and our Volvo station wagons and our golden retrievers running around everywhere, and life is just great. And we pursue that stuff and pursue that stuff and pursue that stuff. And he says that it's in those things and how we get them or don't get them that our souls find their worth. And even the good stuff, even if you have the most amazing job and the kids are on the honor roll, you have the bumper stickers of my kids, the honor roll student, and everything else that you could ever get, he says that as, not, as, as, as much as those things are nice, they will not give your life meaning. They will not give your life purpose. They will not allow your soul, that core part of you, to know its worth. And as Augustine writes, that we are going to be restless. Our souls are going to be restless until they find their rest in God. So if you are someone today who kind of has that restlessness in you, that feeling of like things may seem great, but I'm not really all that happy, that is most likely your soul that is searching and yearning for more of what life is truly about. It's the most important question any of you can ask. Where does our soul find its worth? Where is the thing that lasts, that doesn't just have a a short-term good feeling and accomplishment, and I feel good for a couple hours and then move on with my life? Where does our soul find its worth? And as the title of this series says, it comes from a Christmas carol, from the song, O Holy Night. A line that we sing, for he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. For he appeared... And the soul felt its worth. That what we believe as Augustine writes and as Willard writes and as C.S. Lewis writes and so many others is that the only place that our souls find rest, where we find peace and purpose and and the answer to the questions of why we are here comes from Jesus. For he is the only one who appears where our soul truly finds rest and meaning and its worth. 
And so we are inviting you into an Advent journey of, your, of exploring your soul. A journey of asking the question, what is it about God that is so unique that that's the only place my soul finds its worth? And I can search high and low in all different kinds of areas and never ever find satisfaction. But there is something totally and wholly unique about Jesus. That that is the place in his appearance and in knowing him that our souls can find and discover their worth. And that's what we're hoping for you. This is a journey of joy and of peace and of discovery and of your value. And the ways we're doing that, of course, is we're looking at the book of Numbers. Because where else do you go in the Bible to hear about your soul feeling its worth? The book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. It's a kind of strange one to get ready for Christmas. You don't read it and go, I just got that Christmas feeling. But we believe that the verses we're going to be looking at actually are the key to our soul finding its worth. It's what's unique about God and why you can't find this any other place. This describes what is unique about God that we should be tapping into and leaning into for our sake of our souls. Okay? And this is the scripture passage. It's from Numbers chapter 6. And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, no matter who we are, no matter how we walk in here, no matter what preconceived notions we have, no matter what disappointments or joys, meet us all in this place. And may our souls gain a glimpse of our worth, of their worth in your eyes. Fill us to overflowing this morning and always, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, last week when we started into this series, we talked some about the odd placement of this blessing in the book of Numbers. And here's what's odd about it. In our world, in almost every part of your life, if you stop and think about it, blessings and reward work a certain way, right? Blessings and reward only come when you earn it, when you deserve it. So how do you make the honor roll? Well, you don't make the honor roll by walking to school being like, hey, I feel like I'm really smart. And they're like, oh, good. Well, we'll put you on the honor roll then, right? Like you have to go in and actually have the grades to make GPA. You can't go up to, you know, uh, Texas A&M or UT or University of Houston or anywhere else and hoping for an athletic scholarship going, hey, I feel like I'm pretty fast, right? Like I feel like I should be a good football player. And so I feel like you should give me a scholarship. It's like, no, if you have earned and proven yourself as an athlete, then we might consider rewarding you with a scholarship to college. Everything about work, everything about school, everything about our life works where we receive blessings because we have earned it or deserved it. And that actually makes sense. But one of the things that about the book of Numbers that we've got to pay attention to if our soul is going to feel its worth is we have to know that where this blessing comes in Numbers chapter 6 is actually a very odd placement. And the reason it's odd is because if this blessing worked how everything else in in life worked, which is that you have to do all of this stuff in order to receive this blessing, it would come at the end of the book, right? Because the book of Numbers is a book that is written that is a detailed book of instructions of how the people of Israel are supposed to live. The book of Numbers comes at at an interesting time in the history of the Israelites. It comes in an in-between time. 
Okay? And the two events that it's in between is it comes after the deliverance of the people from slavery in Egypt. Okay? That's the book, that's what bookends it on one side. Okay, is that the people have been in slavery for 500 years. God sends them Moses, a deliverer. He delivers them from the hand of Pharaoh. And they have left Egypt. They have been delivered from slavery. And they're waiting right now before they enter the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so they are in between these two great events in the history of the people of Israel. It's after slavery, but before they enter into the promised land. So they're wandering right now for 40 years, it says, wandering in the wilderness. Wandering and waiting for God to do that. And so the book of Numbers is all about how are they supposed to travel with God? Because there's all kinds of instructions. If you are somebody, and I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but you know who you are and the people who love you know who you are. If you are one of those people who loves lists and making lists and crossing things off lists, and if that makes you, the book of Numbers is like your love language, okay? Because it is a detailed account of how you travel as the people of God. Because what it says is, is that you're going to travel around, then you're going to set up camp in different places. And the thing, the very first thing you got to do is not just everyone pitch their own tent and worry about themselves. you got to set up the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where the Ten Commandments, where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be carried into. There's all kinds of ways you got to set it up, and it's got to be done the right way, and it outlines how that's to be done. And then once the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle are set up, then the 12 tribes of Israel have to be in their 12 spots all around the tabernacle, which is at the center. And each tribe has to know it in its own place. And every tent of the tribe has to be set up in the exact right way. And you got to cook food the right way, and you got to do hygiene the the right way, and you got to have your clothes the right way, and everything's got to be the right way. And that's how you set up camp. And then you have camp, and you have your ceremonies, and you worship, and Moses goes into the tabernacle, and he talks with God, and all this stuff happens. And then you got to leave, and you got to travel again. And so here's what you do. You don't just wake up bleary-eyed, maybe on a camping trip, and like throw your stuff into the car and go because you can't be bothered to organize it anymore. you got to take down camp in the right way, and every tribe has to do it in order. And you have to take down the tents this way, and hygiene has to happen this way, and this is the food you got to have, and this is the... What, and so it's like this it's huge list that you can imagine the really detail-oriented people who are just going, cross that off, yay. Now next one, cross that off, yay. And they would just love it, right? I'm not one of those people, but I know who you are, and you love it. You will love this thing. The weird part about this blessing is that if it worked like every other part of your life, like your grades and honor roll and making, uh, uh, making a sports team and promotions at work and everything else, if it worked that way, the placement of the blessing would be at the end of the book of Numbers, right? You only receive a blessing or reward if you earn it. And so what it would do is say, here are all the rules for setting up camp and here's the rules for taking it down. And if you do it, then the Lord will bless you. Then the Lord will keep you. Then the Lord will make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Then the Lord will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. If you want peace, you better follow the rules, right? You better do what it says. And the placement of this blessing is that it's right in the middle of the, It's weird when you read it because it's like list, 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 blessing, list, 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 list. It's just like inserted right into the middle of all these things that the people are to do. And basically what it is is it's the Lord saying to you and I, this blessing is because I love you. you. You want your soul to know its worth? This blessing is yours, and it's not about whether you earn it or not. It's not about whether you've had a good week or not. It's not about if you're living a holy existence or not. God is pouring blessings into our lives. Now, part of the problem is that you and I are schooled to only see the things that aren't right or the things that don't work or the things that someone else has that we don't have or the things that some other life. And the th oh, no matter who it is, the people you're looking at who have the great life that's not like yours, they don't feel secure either. They're looking at someone else who's like, they might be looking at you if, that, if my life was like that and if I could do those things. and every We're all doing it. We're all playing this game. 
And the Lord is essentially looking at you and I today going, you need to hear that I love you. You need to hear that I am blessing you and will bless you, and it has nothing to do with how many rules you follow. It has nothing to do with whether you earn it. It is about the character of God and God's love. This week, no matter who you are, God is going to pour blessings into your life. And part of the deal for us is to be people who can live lives of thanksgiving, to see the blessings and give thanks for the blessings rather than just obsessing about what isn't. And I hope that this week, as last Sunday, we talked about what does it mean to say the Lord bless you. And I know some of you, some of you, many of you have written to me about the things that you've noticed this week about how you are blessed and the people and the things that you've gone and named. Think, you know, people have gone and said, I am blessed because you do these things. It's a powerful way to live. It's a powerful way to live your life from a place of blessing. The Lord bless you. And this Sunday, what we're talking about is what does it mean to say the Lord keep you? Okay, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And what I want you to hear today is this, that this keeping works the same way as blessing. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to follow the list or the to-dos or anything else. That the promise of God is to keep you this day and this week. And keeping means protecting. Or as the scriptures say, when you leave this place, the Lord is your shield and defender. And that is good news. Your soul should feel its worth by the promise of God saying to you today, I am your shield and defender. I will keep you. Whether you feel like you've earned it this week or not, I will keep you. Now, what do we mean when we say keeping? Okay, this is, this is important because this is a huge blessing. It's a huge statement to say that the Lord will protect us. So what do we mean when we say that? What does the Lord mean when he says that? The way that you and I often think about protection, I want you to think about this in your own life, is actually the opposite of what God means. And here's what I'm talking about, okay? When, you, when I think protection, what are the things that the Lord's going to protect in my life? I run to a certain place. And the place I run to is the things that I like about my life. The things that are kind of good about my life. The things that I'm like, this is good. I like this. I like this part of my life. And I love hearing that the Lord's going to be the keeper because I run to those things going, this is awesome. God is like bubble wrapping the stuff, right? God is just wrapping it up in protective bubble wrap, these great things in my life, and saying nothing's going to disorder them. Nothing's going to mess with them, right? Uh, all this stuff is just, is just wonderful. And we do that because as human beings, that's how our faith life often works. And I, I, I Think about it this way. Think about the number of times that we separate the stuff that we want God to mess with and then the protective parts over here of the stuff I don't want God messing with, right? We do that a lot. Where we're like, God, do something here. Do something here because this is not good for me and I'm not happy with this, but don't mess with this part. This is the protection part. This is, this is the bubble-wrapped area, right, where nothing can happen. Do this, not this. And so when we hear protection, we're like, oh, good, the bubble-wrapped area is safe. The stuff I like isn't going to get messed with. We do this all the time. Lord, I want a job. I want a job. Give me a job that is going to earn some money, and I'm going to love going into work every day, and I want to have purpose, and I want to have fulfillment, and I don't want to just kind of show up and have to get through it. I'm praying for this. I'm asking for this. I'm asking for a job that plays the kind of income where I can take my kids on vacation wherever they want, and we can live in the right zip code, and they can go to the right schools, and, and, and I want to enjoy it all as well, and I want to be able to eat at any restaurant I want. Provide this thing, but don't tell me how to spend my money. 
Don't talk to me about generosity. I'll take care of how I use it. Your job is to provide it. And do this part over here, but not this part, right? Lord, I want to be married. I want to be dating someone. I want to be in a relationship that is good and wonderful and intimate and life-giving and wonderful. And so provide that. Introduce me. Help me to find someone like that. Help my marriage to be rekindled. Do all this stuff. But don't tell me what it means to be a wife. Don't tell me what it means to be a husband. Because that's antiquated and bad and wrong. And so do this part because this is the stuff I need you to provide. But leave this part to me. Lord, we need rain in Austin, Texas, and we're excited when it comes, but don't bring it on Sunday morning when I got to walk in from the far end of the Northwest Rec Center parking lot. Bring it in a different time, right? This is the, not when I got to tote four children in who are running around everywhere and they love being wet and in the rain and stomping. Don't do it then. This is the area, God, that you can mess with. This is the safe zone. This is the green zone right here where, I just, where, where everything needs to be okay. So when we hear, when you hear today, the promise of the Lord is to keep and protect you. We run here and go, yay, God's doing what we want. And I want you to hear that is not what this means. That is not what this means at all. In fact, what I want you to hear is the safe stuff that's the way you like it, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes God is actually the one who comes and messes with that. Or as Craig Barnes, who's the president of Princeton Seminary, writes, sometimes God interrupts. And he interrupts the safe, bubble-wrapped side. We're going, no, 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 no. That's the stuff you mess with. He's like, no, I'm actually going to stir this up. And you're like, why would you do that? And the reason is, is because God doesn't has a bigger vision for your life than just a safe, bubble-wrapped, protected life. And you think about that, that's not even a good life to have. You don't even want that. Because what that is is a, a, a fear-filled, defensive life where you're constantly just going, Lord, just don't mess with the bad stuff. Just keep the bad stuff safe. Just keep the good stuff safe. Just keep it, like, for me and my family and my loved ones, just keep all that okay. And so I'm constantly on the lookout for how I guard and how I'm trusting the Lord to just bubble wrap this part of my life. And the Lord's going, I have a better existence for you than that. It's an existence of purpose. It's an existence where you're sent out into the world. It's an existence where you're called to make a difference in this broken and hurting world. But bubble-wrapped lives don't do that. If you want a life of joy, you can't be bubble-wrapped all the time. It's just how it works. And so the Lord sometimes actually stirs that stuff up. So what does it mean when we say that the promise of God today is to keep you and protect you? Well, what I want to submit to you is that God doesn't want you to hear that and run to the stuff you want protected and think, yay, I've got an insurance policy on this. God actually wants you to move in the opposite direction to the things that feel hard. That what this is, is God saying in the things that are really painful and difficult and confusing and disappointing in your life, I promise you I will keep you. You see the difference in that? We run that way and think protection means that. God is actually saying, and here's what it means when he says, I'll protect you. I will be faithful to you and to redeem all situations. That's the promise of keeping. I will be faithful to you and I will redeem the brokenness and the pain and the confusion and the despair and the loneliness and the isolation. That will not be the end of your story. That's the promise of God. And the people who first heard this knew that implicitly, right? The people who first heard this thousands of years ago, the Lord bless you and keep you. Think about the lives. They did not have safe, happy, bubble-wrapped lives. 
They had just left slavery after 500 years in Egypt. If God had come along in that situation and gone, don't worry, I'm just going to keep you safe and happy and warm and fuzzy, they would have been going, what are you talking about? They had endured hardship and tragedy like few of us can imagine. The Lord's not saying to them in that blessing when it first comes when they're wandering in the desert, just know that it's safe and happy. The Lord was saying, I know that you have experienced great pain. You are not alone and your pain will be redeemed. Now there's a piece of us when we hear that that's going, Thomas, why are you going there? It's Advent. Don't go to that stuff. I mean, the pain's always with me. The confusion's always there. The the despair is always there. Don't go to that stuff. It's Christmas. The the object of Advent is getting ready for Christmas. Every week's supposed to be a little more Christmassy than the next until we finally celebrate on Christmas Eve. Go to the bubble. Christmas needs bows and ribbons and bubble wrap and happiness and smiles and plastic stuff. Why on this time of year do you want me going to pain and loneliness and disappointment and isolation? Why would the Lord want us to go there at this time of year? Because pain doesn't take a holiday break. Because loneliness doesn't take a holiday break. Because despair doesn't take time off for the holidays. Because isolation and disappointment and betrayal and uncertainty and fear and anxiety, those things don't take a break for Christmas. And in fact, at Christmas, they sometimes are felt more acutely than any other time of the year. And so the good news for those of you today who don't have perfect bubble-wrapped lives where everything makes sense, and that is every person sitting here, starting with myself, is that there is gospel, there is good news for this part of your life. And the way that you hold on to it is through remembering that God has always been faithful before. I encourage you as we end today by remembering that there is always in the Scriptures an intersection between memory and hope. Memory and hope. Memory and hope that our memories are to trigger in us that God has always been faithful and that God has always redeemed brokenness. And that is the promise that God is making for you. should fill your life with hope because the evidence of our memories tell us that it's true. That yes, this was written to a people who had been in slavery for 500 years and enduring great atrocities because human beings are broken because human beings still in the world today would rather keep slaves and, 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 and have that system alive in the world than they would be because they're more interested in lining their own pockets than anything else and dominating other people. Because that's how our world has always been. That that existed, but those people's cries out to God were heard that they are not enslaved in Egypt anymore, that God sent them a deliverer. Our memory tells us that they are no longer there, that they were released, that captives are freed, and that hope is real. Our memory tells us that they were wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, waiting for God, waiting for God. When is this going to happen? When will we enter into the promised land? But friends, they are not wandering anymore because they entered into this land. They crossed the Jordan River into a land that is flowing with milk and and honey. God's promises to them were kept. God was faithful and redeemed all of that. As followers of Jesus, you and I know that. 
Because God's not just looking at us going, trust me, I know it's tough, it must be tough, but I'll redeem it. This cross reminds us of this. That Emmanuel, the one who is waiting for us, didn't live a bubble-wrapped existence where everything was swell every day. That Jesus endured pain, that he endured hardship, that he endured brokenness, that he endured loneliness, that he endured isolation, that he endured betrayal, that he endured his closest followers turning their backs on him and running in the opposite direction. That Jesus did not have a life that was always safe. And that his life actually ended on the cross. But we keep these crosses in front of us as devices to trigger our memory. As Ebenezer's. So that we can look at it and say that God has been faithful even on the cross. And the plan of salvation is alive and intact and spread throughout creation. Because of God's faithfulness to Jesus even in his pain. God was faithful and redeemed. Again and again and again. This is the promise of God's keeping. And may the memory of how God has done that again and again and again for his people fill you with hope today that that will be true for you as well. That you do not wander alone. That you are not forgotten. That your pain and your disappointments in this world have not been ignored by God. That God is keeping you, will keep you. And will redeem and heal and reconcile all brokenness that we know. This is the good news of this day. May you claim it as your own. And if you do, your soul will know its worth. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this day would be a day of memory and hope for us, that we would have the memory of remembering your promise to your people and that you would live, that we would have true hope at this Christmas time, not bubble-wrapped, safe hope, but a hope that is real and gritty, that can endure the pain and the disappointment of life, and that we would hear whispered into our ears and into our hearts today that we are not forgotten. Live in each of us. May your hope live in each of us that you are our Father, our Keeper, our Protector, our Shield and Defender. And that is all we will ever need. May we leave here today as hopeful people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.